Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Off the Record. I'm Campbell Wilmot. Today, I'm here speaking with Bart Crow. He's a country artist from my home of North Texas, as well as a U.S. Army veteran. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Campbell. Thank you for inviting me. This is awesome. So just to get started, you've been doing this for a little bit. So with your first album titled Finally, released back in 2006, tell me how you first got started. And I'm also curious to know, why did you name your first album Finally? So in 2003 is when I began playing in public. And in business, they say when you went professional. But I'm still working on getting professional. But that's another story. <laughs> uh, I started playing in 2003, and I was going to college at Tarleton State University in Stephenville. I'd already gotten out of the military. I was a little bit older, and, uh, you know, I played guitar, and I'd written some songs, but only for personal uh, gratification, if you will. And through his uh, wife at the time, Jason Boland and I, and for those who don't know, another country artist from Oklahoma, lives in Texas, had, uh, he and I had become really good friends. So when the stragglers would play in Stephenville, uh, Jason and his wife would come into town early and stay a few days with me, and we would just act like you're 16 and be goofy, stay up too late, drink too much. And so one night, he and I were just sitting on my back porch, and of course, I did the thing, like, well, hey, man, uh, you know, I, I've written a song. And in hindsight, I'm like, God, I can't believe I did that. How goofy. But uh, and but the funny thing, he's like, he didn't even ask to hear it or anything. He was like, cool, man. And so then we just got to talking about music. And he said, look, if you got a handful of songs and, and you want to play music, call Heath out at the Agave, which was the manager at the local pub. He's like, book a show. He's like, hell, man, this this next line was my big cast into music. He was like, hell, man, we have the rest of our lives to be old and boring. Go for it. And so. Uh, being a frequent patron of said pub, I knew the manager really well, and he let me, uh, he booked a show for me, and, um, you know, and I was, had, I was fortunate to have a bunch of friends in college, and so, of course, it packed out, and that was a feeling of, oh, my God, oh, my goodness, and, uh, I mean, I played that show reading my songs out of the notebook on a music stand, and that just lit the fuse, like, that was a, a an adrenaline excitement accomplishment that I hadn't uh, obtained to that point, I guess my life. I mean, you know, so I just played acoustic. I didn't have a band. I didn't know how you put a band together. I didn't know anything of that. And so uh, a friend of mine that was in that crowd that night, he was like, Hey man, um, you know, I'm in grad school and I don't have, you know, long days. I have a couple of days. I think he was doing Monday, Wednesday, Friday classes or something like that. He was like, I can, uh, you know, for a small fee, I can book you some shows. And so Case did that for me, and neither one of us knew what in the world we were doing. So once again, I get on the phone to Jason Bowling. I'm like, where are some gigs? Or, you know, where do people play around the state? So he gave me a list. And so I gave that to Case. And then we did the old, you know, Stephenville was a hot ticket for bands that would come through and play. Uh, uh, Ragweed, The Great Divide. Uh, Django Walker, Corey Morrow, every Pat Green, everybody that's played January of 04 ish. Uh, I finally had a band, a full band. And so we started doing more band shows on the weekends and I'd still play acoustic in the, um, in the week. And then it evolved to 18 years later, here I am. And this is what we do. And went from 
playing, you know, two, three times a month acoustic to, you know, five, six, ten times a month acoustic to playing a band and then doing half and half and then grew to, you know, probably 2008. I think we were doing a couple hundred band shows a month. And to now I'm an old pawpaw. So I'm like, ooh, let's keep it, you know, maybe a hundred. And then to answer your B side of that, why it was called Finally, I started playing in 2003. I had, I didn't, I didn't have any money to make a record. I didn't even know how you made a record. And so we made the CD in uh, 2000, late 2004 into 2005. And then it was just kind of like on the website, hey, we did it. We finally did it. Because we had been playing as a band for uh, right at two years and had a good following around Fort Worth and Dallas and Stephenville. And, you know, trying to build our names as, as everybody has to. And, um, you know, so a lot of people, it was a lot of like, when are y'all going to make a record? When is it going to be a CD? You know, we come to the shows, we got some songs we like, but, you know, we don't get to hear them. I'm like, give me some money. And we finally came into a little bit of money and made that record for uh, a whopping $3,000. And it's got a song on there that just has given me a complete foundation of a career 18 years later. So you're talking about Wear My Ring? Is that what you're referring to? That oh. Song? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Just oh, for yeah. the listeners that don't know. Said you want to stand there with your arms around me, but I can't feel you. It's kind of like a dream. Walk out with another Lord, my jaw is for it's kind of like a dream. Said little angel with the bottle, I don't love you anymore. Yeah, I spent some time out with the devil, but you don't hurt me anymore. Yeah, I waste my time And I waste my money On a broken dream Cause you wouldn't wear my ring Baby, give me back my ring One day you'll look back Baby, when you're all alone Just wondering to yourself Just where in the hell did I have gone and I'll be down the road like a thousand times before And you'll be sitting home with your jaw on the floor Said little angel with the bottle I don't love you anymore Yeah, I spent some time out with the devil But you don't hurt me
Jason Bolin were such good friends. So have you guys or your bands ever done any shows together? Uh, back in the day, we, we did like early on, <clears throat> excuse me, when, when people in this scene still helped each other. Um, he put me on a couple. And then uh, as fate would have it, I ended up getting booked by his booking agency. And so then there were a few years where we did quite a few shows together. And then uh, when I went on to a different agency, we just now we just cross paths and, you know, maybe a yearly text message. Well, I mean, we're still pals, but I haven't I mean, I haven't seen seen him in probably a year or more. Yeah, we've done shows and, you know, and because I was so grateful to his little elbow bump to get in the music and, and, and befriending me, you know, that uh, on my second record, I recorded one of his songs as kind of like a nod to him. So it's, it's called St. Valentine's. It's on the Desperate Hearts record. I saw that you began writing songs while you were active in the United States Army. So the songs that you wrote during that time, did did any of them make it onto your first record? It was more, I kind of had a journal going. Because I was pretty homesick. I mean, I grew up, Maypearl was 300 plus when I left. And I'd lived there my entire life. I, You know, maybe church camp or family vacation was the longest I'd ever been out of Maypearl city limits. And um now I was stationed in Southeast Georgia, four states away from every one and body that I knew. And so, um, you know, before you can get plugged into the social pipeline of a new place, it was just kind of having some alone time. And I was learning to play guitar. So it was more of a journal that I kind of referenced back for either emotional reasons to, um, to kind of write a song about or maybe even some lines in my journal. So you talked about your grandfather was in a band, so he was an influence, but who else did you grow up listening to? Well, until I discovered rap music in the eighth grade, everything was, you know, like most, well, I guess not now. I mean, my kids listen to stuff. I'm like, ooh, uh But uh, back then, you know, when there were no handheld and digital devices, you, uh, you, you listen to what your parents listen to, you know, because you're riding in the car and they listen. And my parents were as country as country gets. And, um, so, you know, always, there was always Willie Nelson. I mean, I knew, from a very early age, knew who Willie Nelson, George Jones, uh, Merle Haggard, <clears throat> uh, Conway Twitty, all the greats, uh, Waylon Jennings. My dad was the biggest Waylon Jennings fan, but, um, and George Strait. I mean, George Strait could have screamed into a megaphone and my dad be like, see, that's, that's country. That's how you do it. 
George was and is the king. So, but I have a sister who's four years older than me. So by the time I was getting, you know, seventh, eighth grade, she's got a boyfriend from the next town over walks Hatchie, who's really into rap music. And he introduces me to NWA, Too Short, uh, DOC, Dre. So, you know, I had my time of that. And so I, and I love that. And then my freshman year of high school, my world exploded because in one semester of school, I say one semester, might've been one year, but one semester of school, I got just my ears blown off because these records all came out the same year. Metallica's Black, uh, Nirvana's Nevermind, Pearl Jam 10, and Alice in Chains Facelift all in one semester. Wow. And I was hooked. I was like, what is this? And that was it. You weren't changing my mind. (laughs) So now at 44, I still, Alice in Chains is still my favorite rock band ever. I just named my baby after the lead singer or threw it in there somewhere. And so um, I think it plays really well to be in hindsight that I listen to that kind of uh, different music because now writing, if you listen to any of my stuff or put it on shuffle, you might have a country, like I mean, as country as country can get into a rock, rock-ish song to ballads to something like, I think Dear Music is kind of, I would put that more of a pop song mm-hmm. and I love that. It doesn't always work for the audience, you know, especially you're from Texas, you know how, you know, Texas country fans can get a little bit uh, aggressive in their desires and wants. And so if you don't play by that, you can get kind of a stone cast at you, but I didn't get into music to just be in Texas country. And I'm blessed to have dumb lucked into a scene that is so, prevalent and awesome Mm -hmm. but like a lot of my friends I got into music because I love art I love creating it was just very fortunate to grow up in a state and be in a college town when I started where hey there's actually a scene here you know and so it has been a a blessing uh, by far but it does have its limitations like anything does you know you're a a sun devil right yes yes (laughs) and you, know, up? you go, you go somewhere else and someone might not like you just because they're your college rival and they don't even know you. Right. And that, you know, so it's silly in that regard. That's the best uh, analogy I could give for it. Yeah. No, I was definitely going to talk about that. I love how it's not just country and that's it. I love the mix of sort of the rock in there. And we see that in other artists too, like Co Wetzel. He's getting pretty big right now and he's definitely on the rock side too. But yeah, definitely a fan of the mix of the rock and country. I feel like um I feel like we're in three generations of Texas country. I mean I'm gonna talk about three because you have I mean I have been fortunate enough to be friend befriend like Ray Wiley Hubbard. Yeah and Django Walker, who tells me tons of stories about his father, and I was a big fan anyway. So you got those guys who slugged it out in the 70s, and I promise you, there weren't as many venues as there is today, and they dang sure weren't paying the money they pay today. So these guys kind of went to hell and back for their art, not because they were playing music in Texas, because they believed in art and music. And then you got that generation that revived it, which, you know, I will argue till the sun comes up. Pat Green kind of gave a, a, a big boost and like, whoa, what is this? Mm-hmm. And then here comes Cross Canadian Ragweed and Blue Edmondson. And so 
and Randy Rogers and Wade Bowen, you know, they're in that generation where rocking and country was awesome. And then my generation come right on the heels of that. And it seemed to be, it seems as though you needed to kind of stay in this little window of country ish. And we didn't, but a lot did. And some did better than us and some didn't, you know, and that's just how way the world goes. I'm not blaming anything. God's got the plan. I don't, I'm just riding the ship. But now this younger generation, this next one, like Co Wetzel, mm-hmm. rocking and crushing it. I mean, I don't know him personally. Uh, I know some of his team and crew, but like, I mean, just can't do wrong. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but then, uh, then you got Parker McCollum, who is not near rocking like that, but just makes good music. Mm-hmm. So, but their styles are so different, and they're both doing excellent work. Yeah, and then. You know, and then back to my generation, you got Cody Johnson, who's in a whole different stratosphere on his own. So it's like it went from, hey, we're cool with whatever. We love live music to like, hey, that's not Texas country to like, hey, we're cool with music, whatever. And I'm like, I want to go those ways. Can I go jump on one of their ships? And it's so interesting to see all the different progressions like you were just talking about. And also just somehow, even though all of the different artists are so different, it still somehow works in Texas country. It's, it's nuts too. And, you know, cause some people, some people get real spiteful and jealous other artists and stuff. And I, I'm just not one of them. My whole theory is like, there's some room on the planet for everybody to win. I get excited when I see someone else being successful because I know, what they're taking to another city that maybe I don't go play yet or several other bands, but selfishly speaking for me, you know, I see one of those boys kicking or, or even like when uh, Pat and Randy and Casey and those guys go to uh, terminal five in New York, I've played New York, but I've played smaller bars and pubs and it has nothing to do with Texas or country. I'm just an artist and it's been cool. I got really good reception, but those guys are going up there and saying, Hey, this is a thing we got going back in our state. This is a style of music. Check us out. And from us, they'll find others and they'll find me eventually. And so I think it's awesome when these guys who can go out affordably and draw and kick butt, everybody wins. And that's a good way to look at it. So I want to talk a little bit about your live shows. So COVID shut down live shows, but are you getting back on the road? And I know maybe it's a little bit easier because – um, like those artists that you were talking about, Parker McCollum, they're playing these huge venues, and I know they've been completely shut down. Have you still managed to do some shows here and there? I have. Um, my story of the craziness is we played in Alabama March the 6th, and I flew home, or March the 5th, and I flew home March 7th and told my guys, all right, see you in wherever we were going to be on Friday. Y'all be safe driving home. And uh, – I didn't see them until September the 11th was our first. Well, we technically we rehearsed the day before, but you know, what's that seven ish months, April, May, June, July, August. Yeah. Six months that we didn't leave. We, we had nothing, nothing. And then um, September, we played a little bit in October. Uh, I honestly wasn't willing to just dive back out because I didn't want to be a Guinea pig. We welcomed our little baby on June the 20th. So I wasn't really, super ready to dive back out into the world. So we took it a little slower, but uh, I would say now, I don't know, probably at least 75% back up running. Um, You know, January and February, I think we had a handful of shows, which I guess a handful 
is better than zero. And, you know, but it's different from when we used to play eight to 10 a month. And then, uh, but as coincidentally, as I say to all that, like we're back to feeling pretty good this month, March, I got like, I have one band show, but I don't think that was COVID based. I think it was just more, you know, my kids have spring break. Um, I have a couple acoustic gigs. So things just, we just kind of backed off a little bit where we're just not just gunning like, man, we need all the gigs. We need everything. So there's a little bit of that and then a little bit of the COVID and the capacity thing. And, uh, you know, being as long as I've played music, my business is just set up in a way where, you know, like, like most free enterprise business, you got to make a certain nickel or you're losing money. Well, you don't want to lose money and you don't want the venue to lose money. So there's also with the limited capacities, there's some balancing acts going on too. But uh, I feel like well, we're, we're a, you know, one foot and maybe a few toes out of this back to getting normal. Mm-hmm. And congratulations, by the um, way, on uh, the baby. And so I know, you. and I know you said um, that that was in June, but did you have any more time for songwriting over um, this kind of break, I guess? If I was, remember when I said I was working on being professional? <laughs> if yeah. I was a professional, I'd probably have 15 songs, but I wrote one. <laughs> oh my god honestly i i kind of feel like when it started i just was like oh, mm-hmm. i'm gonna catch my breath because for since i started it's just been running gun and running gun and running gun and running gun and write some songs make a record running gun running gun and i really just think that i just kind of exhaled a little bit and was like for the first time in you know my oldest turned 10 in february and the twins are seven and the poet is eight months it was like the first time in my life I don't have to try to squeeze all daddy time into four or five days before I leave again. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of, you know, I still grab a guitar and I play every single day, but I just, I don't know. I honestly took a breather. I got really into being a dad mm-hmm. for the first time. I mean, I shouldn't say for the first time, I think I'm a kick-ass dad because it's about the only thing I work really, really hard at, but I was able to, get to be it long-term and not try to accomplish being awesome in a short amount of time. So also in your song called run with the devil, you say I'm headed out West. All my friends tell me that Tucson's the best. Are you, I'm assuming you're talking about Tucson, Arizona. So do you have any sort of connection since I'm broadcasting here for ASU? Do you have any sort of connection with Arizona? Um, it's because Arizona state's the best. Duh. <laughs> True. <laughs> Uh, truth be told, my mother went to uh, a rehab wellness facility in Tucson called Sierra Tucson. Okay. And I wrote that song on the airplane okay. back from after going and visiting on the family weekend where they uh, taught me not to be such an asshole, that addiction is a real problem and uh, it's a disease. And it doesn't matter if that's your sweet mama and she should just toughen up because she is tough. And I learned a lot and I saw a lot. And so that's exactly what that song is about is how, you know, seeing her go through that and learning going out there, like I said, as a straight hard nosed asshole to breaking down and be like, okay, I, I don't know everything who knew. And so, uh, you know, not going to do my best to not let the devil catch me like he caught up her. But uh, yeah, it's, it's straightly straight, a tip of the hat, I guess, if you will, to that, to Sierra Tucson rehab. 
All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. So then one last thing, kind of wrap things up. Um, just where can people find more about you and your music? What platforms are you on? And if there's anything I missed that you'd like to talk about, feel free. I think my music's on anywhere music is. Uh, Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon Music. But you can go to BartCrowMusic.com and we have a store there. And you can buy all the merch, all the records. Um, you can see the tour dates. But on the store, that comes directly from us, from my I call it a warehouse. Really, y'all, it's just a small shed in my backyard. So just the warehouse makes you feel better. <laughs> well, just for the listeners that don't know, it is B-A-R-T-C-R-O-W, right? Just so- Yep, keeping okay. it simple, just like my thought process. <laughs> All right. So last thing I do on um, every podcast, I call it Final Speed Round. So you already mentioned a lot of these artists, but I'm going to name two, and then you just pick one or the other. Oh, that's not fair, but I'll play. <laughs> All right, so first one, George Jones or George Strait? Oh, why would you do that to me? That's a that's a straight tie. I had to hear your my, answer now because you talked about them. Okay, well, my answer is I used to argue with my papa uh, that George Strait was the king, but I didn't realize who really and what George Jones was. And so my, my grandfather and I, my whole childhood, had this, uh, like, playful argument the whole time but girl i'm not touching that one that's a tie it shouldn't be a tie because people be like are you kidding me george jones but i grew up in texas so yeah true i love george i love george (laughs) all right so second one you already mentioned both of these two so this will be a tough one willie or waylon willie all right um john prine or johnny cash Okay, that is a tough one, but I'm going to go with being completely honest because, you know, I feel like there's a lot of bandwagon with John Prine right now, but I think it's a good thing because the bandwagon isn't always for cool points. Sometimes it's like, wow, I didn't realize how awesome he is. Uh, My wife is a huge John Prine fan. I have not dug in, so I have to go with uh, Johnny Cash because I know most, if not all, of his music, but love John Prine and I'm learning John Prine. All right. And then, sorry, last... I'm a full of disclaimers. This whole no, uh, no, that's fine. culture, I'm trying to protect myself. No, I love to hear it. So last one is Beatles or the Stones. Why, why are you so mad at me? <laughs> well, I know you covered a Stones song, so I figured that would be. I am. I love them both. I and my wife and I disagree to this. I love them both. And I, think that I know 99% of both of their catalogs and I can play about 0.001% of it, but I'm a Stones fan. I just, and I love the Beatles. I'm reading a Beatles book right now and my children can sing all the popular Beatles tunes and they know some of the Stones, but I definitely, I, I gravitate more towards the Stones, but I listen to both of them. Honestly, I have a Spotify playlist that's, uh, or maybe no, my, in my app, in my iTunes library and it's just called Europe and it's just all the Beatles and all the stones. And I just put on shuffle that way. My conscience doesn't hurt. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today and thank you again for your service. Um, I hope to see you you at a show sometime soon and hopefully maybe out here out West in Arizona. So thank you so much again for talking to me. Thank you. And thank you all so much for tuning in listening today to this episode of off the record with Bart Crow. 
Be sure and go check out more of his music and tune in next week to Off the Record on Blaze Radio to hear me speak with a new musician.